All right, I'm impressed. The early crowd after daylight savings time. Uh, how many people went to ladies' retreat? Anybody? Er that's even more impressive. You were here late last night. Okay, that's what I like. It's going to be a good service right here. It's cool. I got the lowdown on that late last night. Sound like y'all had a blast. It's been a great week at, at Radius. Um, last Sunday night, I got to go out to Radius Saluda and listen to our young guy out there named Ross, who, who's leading, very gifted. It was fun to be out there. One of the things that maybe you don't know about Radius Saluda, it, it's about half white and half black, which is really cool. It's, it's a diverse little young beginnings of a church. Meets on Sunday nights, every Sunday night at 6 out in Saluda. It, we'd meet in the barn, which is pretty cool in and of itself, and it's just rich. It was, it was fun to see what God's doing out here. And then by the time I got home, I, I saw, I don't do the Twitter thing. I don't really know how to tweet, but evidently it comes to other forms of social media. I'm going to show my illiteracy socially on media anyway. Um, and, and West Columbia had to add chairs last week, so they have more folks coming over there. There's just some good stuff going on. Just want to keep putting that in front of you because we're dreaming about continually multiplying what God's doing in us. That means us as a body. That means us as individuals. That we'll take what we have and give it away and see somebody else uh, grow in and of itself. So Saluda, West Columbia are, are going on my favorite part of the week. Somebody just asked me. Um, I got a screenshot, which I actually don't know how to do. Somebody sent me one. And it was from a guy at at White Knoll, Radius White Knoll, who on Monday could no longer live without Jesus. Been coming to White Knoll for a year, and it finally just, it finally just connected, and he believed in Jesus on Monday night. It was, it was, he sent that to a friend, a friend who, who hangs out with him, had brought him to Radius White Knoll, and over the course of time, a year's, a year's course of time, he believed in Jesus and gave his life. So that, that's as good as it gets. That's what we dream about here. That's what we dream will happen here over and over and over as we take what we got and give it to somebody else and allow the Holy Spirit to plant it and then see it grow. It's good stuff. Let me pray for those churches and we'll jump right into John. Jesus, I worship you this morning. In my own simplicity, I just want to say uh, thank you for for saving me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to read, read your word out loud in front of a group of people. We appreciate the privilege and the freedom that we have in this country to uh, do this without real threat. As many other of our brothers across the world do this this morning undercover. Though we are thrilled with what you're doing out in Saluda and thank you for raising up Ross and just this really cool core group of folks that went there that have been driving all the way over from here. We pray that you'd show them favor and that Saluda would benefit from having them there and that they would be innovative and creative and, and that uh, they'd love that town really well. And eventually, one by one, folks would, would decide, like, like the man in, uh, in the Red Bank area did this week, they would decide to follow you, Jesus, and ask you to be their Savior. In the same way, Lord, this morning, I imagine they're just getting warmed up over at West Columbia. They're setting up chairs and testing mics, and they'll start in a few minutes. Pray, Lord, that your spirit would be there this morning. It'd be obvious that you're moving. Their worship would be alive because uh, real hearts are turned to you, and we just pray you show them great favor. Uh, we trust you with what you're doing with us. We pray you continue. Chase us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
So last week we finished John chapter, John chapter 3, and, and several weeks before on Valentine's Day we skipped around, so hopefully I won't confuse you this, this week, and we jumped to John chapter 4, which was at the one, about the woman at the well, and it fit well with Valentine's Day, and so I want to I spend some more time in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is just loaded, and we could spend lots of Sundays, we'll spend this one and next one. Uh, so we'll end up getting three total in there, um, but it, it, it's a passage that just has a variety of really kind of deep concepts for those, those that know Jesus to, to consider and, and meditate on. So hopefully I'll throw a couple things out this week, and, and maybe you'll just the verse, you'll just need to reread it and reread it during the course of the week. One of, one of my favorite things to do, and this is what happened this week, is uh, uh, this, there's two verses in this passage that kind of went in my crock pot, and it's just been stewing all week. You know how when, when the meat gets in the carrots, it finally makes a carrot worth eating, right? When you got some grease in the carrot, now the carrot, I love them carrots. My mom used to sit it on there before we went to church, and the carrots and the celery ain't never tasted so good. A little soggy, but they were, they were good. And that's, that's what the Word does. If you stick it in and you'll keep coming back to it and you'll keep coming back to it, it's amazing uh, what it does to you over the course of time. So let me read you these two verses, and that'll kind of be our starting point, and we'll roll. John chapter 4, verse 23. But the time is coming, Jesus speaking, but the time is coming, indeed it's now, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Read one more time. And what I'm going to ask you to do, maybe you take a card and you write it on a card and you stick it in your pocket. Maybe some of y'all are a little bit more technical than me and you put it in your phone or you just underline it on your little Bible app. I don't know. Do whatever you got to do, but just read it over and over this week. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I was about, I don't know, mid-20s. I got invited to speak at uh, some Christian camps, and there's one in uh, New Hampshire. It was on a lake, and they flew me up, and I spoke. And I had to speak like 15 times, and I, I, I really didn't know what I was doing. You had to speak twice a day, every day. So I was constantly trying to come up with ideas. And one night, I really wanted to teach high school kids how to worship. And so the passage that came to my mind was this passage in, in Revelation. It's Revelation chapter 4, and it, it's a picture of, of these living creatures that are worshiping God. And I, I wrote it down. The living creatures are worshiping, and there's 24 elders there. It's, it's kind of this picture that's it's a powerful picture you'd have to, it, it, that John is envisioning. And, and these four creatures, they just never stop saying the same thing. So in front of the High school kids, I stood up on the chair instead of, I, was, I didn't understand all the preacher rules at that point, so I, I think I understand well enough not to do it here, but I stood on the front chair right on front of everybody, and I started reading this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who is, the one who was and is and is to come. And there's this idea in Revelation 4 that, that these, these beings just are overwhelmed with who God is. And they just keep saying it. So I, I stood down on the chair. Ah, I'm too old for that now. But I stood down on the chair, and I, I said it again. And I said it again. And I got louder. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, 
the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. And I just kept going. And I, kept, I didn't know it was a bad thing to be a preacher and say the same thing 150 times. And the kids are looking at me, and I'm yelling. By the end, I can't talk anymore. My voice is gone. It's all this, this thing can do. And so I'm, I'm like a coach. It's coming out somehow, but I'm saying it. And the kids started embracing. And you know what? An amazing worship time where all we did was read that. That was worship. It was a little emotional because you got this crazy 20-year-old standing up on a chair yelling this stuff. But there's this feeling I think it's really hard for us to grasp in conservative kind of Christian America to, to what it might look like in heaven to actually be in the presence of the holy God where we're so overwhelmed with it, we can't shut up. We just got to keep telling him who he is. Isaiah writes a similar passage. He has a vision. It's in Isaiah chapter 6. I thought I'd read it to you. Uh, if you don't know that Isaiah is in the Old Testament, he's the first prophet, at least in, uh, at least in order as the Bible lays out. Chapter 6, verse 2, I'm just going to read to Attending him. He says, uh, he's speaking of God, he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Again, Isaiah seeing a vision of God, and attending him were mighty seraphim. I don't know if you know what a seraphim is, but they are bad to the bone. All right, so just so you understand, a seraphim walks in here, and Superman comes in here with his chest of steel. Superman gets down on his knees and says, please don't hurt me, all right, because he's going to just beat Superman to, he's kryptonite. He's going to beat Superman down because this is an angel at the highest level. And he describes him. Uh, uh, He's a mighty seraphim. Each had six wings, and two wings they covered their feet, and two wings they covered their faces, and, and, and with two they flew, and they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven armies. The whole earth was, is filled with his glory. So these jokers, which we can barely imagine in our minds, the power that they have when they roll into God's presence, all they can do is say how great God is. That's all they can get out of their mouth. They're so overwhelmed with the greatness of God, they just yelling at each other. Look at him. Look at him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Verse 4, the The voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and Isaiah saying, I am not going to make it. He walks into God's presence, and he just is overwhelmed with God's glory. I love the line in Isaiah because he says, the whole earth is filled with his glory. So what is true worship? Because that's what John 4 is kind of all about. What's true worship? We do a little study. Uh, a group of folks get together over here in the office, and we, we go through the passage, and we talk about it. About Ezra. And one of the ladies, the first thing she said when she came in, uh, based on the verses that we just read in John 4, she goes, what is true worship? That's all I've been thinking about all week. What is true worship? What is a true worshiper? And I thought, that is That's spot on because the core to all creation is worship. It's it's core to how this whole thing was made. 
that God is central. What's Jesus say? He's coming into town, and the Pharisees are fussing at him because everybody's singing, Hosanna. They're all excited. Jesus is coming into town, riding on a donkey, and, and they're all excited. And what's Jesus? And they fuss at him like, tell them to shut up. They're saying you're, the, you're God. Tell them to shut up. The Pharisees are all fired up, and Jesus looks at him and says, bro, if they don't sing, the gravel on the road is going to stand up and sing. All creation knows who I am. I mean, the rocks, you, the inanimate rocks, they're going to jump up, they're going to stack up, and they're going to sing about my greatness. It's, it's core to creation. It's core to us. We're a people in God's image that just deeply desire to worship. And you pick this up in John chapter 4. It, it runs all the way through the story. And uh, I need to run you through it quickly because we've already spent some time in it. So there's this, this lady. She's a Samaritan. So uh, racially, she is looked down upon by the Jews. She, her gender, she's female. And in ancient cultures, ladies were second, uh, or second class at best. So second class because of her femaleness. She's, she's a, a, uh, a race that is totally disrespected by the Jews. And then we go on to find out in the passage, even her own people don't respect her because she's had five husbands. And she's living with a dude who's paying her rent, right? So there is nothing respectable about this lady. She's coming to get water at noon because she doesn't want to be around the other ladies who come get water when it's cool. She's got to come out while it's hot because she is, she's just that lady that nobody respects. I love the idea that God wants to teach you how to worship from this lady. So if there's anybody in the room and you're you going through your mind, I'm just not qualified, then you got to love this story. Because in reality, it seems, it says in verse 4, he says he had to go through Samaria. And there's certainly, to, to get from, from the place where he's going to the other place, he had to go through Samaria. Some, some, but it, there's almost like this, this destiny that Jesus, he's on this trip, and he knows this lady's going to be, he's going to meet this lady, and he's going to introduce him to him, introduce her to himself. I don't know who you are in this room, but I would imagine that if you're open to it, Jesus will have a conversation with you today. I have to skip some of it. It's loaded. Reread it when you get a chance. But verse 13 is, is beautiful. Uh, he's having this conversation about water, and the lady is like, uh, why are you asking me for water? You shouldn't even be speaking to me. And, and Jesus has this reply in verse 13. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh and bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So, so you're getting this physical water, but I got this water. I, I got this thing that I could give you that would bubble up. With, it reproduces itself. You'd never go thirsty again. It bubbles up like a spring inside. It'll never go away. And you can imagine because you've been this lady, if, if, if you're not now her, you were her at one point, you, you know that there's this emptiness within that you cannot fill. We try to fill it. We try with all that we're worth to fill the emptiness, do we not? When is the daggone next iPhone coming out? I, this thing's boring. We throw away stuff that works in our, in our culture, right? Because we've got to find something new to fill. 
our whole and our soul. We do it in a variety of ways. I was listening to a guy named Chandler. He's a, he's a great preacher, and, and he talked about uh, we, we try to fill it with money. And in reality, we try to fill it with new stuff. For some of y'all, you try to fill it with money because you try to create a secure culture where you think maybe you would last in case of World War III because you got some cash. That's some bad news for you. If World War III comes, they're going to kill you. Your money's not going to keep you secure. Anyway, I don't mean to be a bear of bad news. You just can't prep that well. But then there's the other side where I got to have something new, new car, new house. There's always the dream of the next thing, and the dream of the next thing just keeps you alive. You try to fill that hole, but the problem is when you get the iPhone 4, you got to have the iPhone 5. And then they make a daggum 6 and a 6C and a 6X or whatever the heck they make. They're going to keep hooking you because they know what your soul requires, that you will throw away something that works to get something new. You're like, what's the technology, bro? I mean, I, I'm this slow. This thing I got slow. Yeah, I hear you. But at some level, you're eventually trying to fix something inside of you that can't be fixed. Some of you know Jesus, and you have gone back, right, to worshiping something else. Relationships. Yeah? You don't have to go far. Relationships and sex. I, I, so, so money and new stuff, relationships and sex. A little bit of part of our culture, perhaps, right? You could turn on the masters, right? You could turn on the masters with dudes looking, uh, you know, whatever golfers look like, and you're still going to have crazy commercials. They're going to try to sell you with relationships and sex. Everybody dreams that some lady is going to fix their world. <laughs> no offense, ladies, but that's funny. <laughs> It just, there just aren't any perfect women, right? Uh, Chandler actually talks about every woman dreams of the man who, like, changes diapers and got a six-pack, right? And, and, uh, and he's got food ready and provides. And when you walk in the house, he's, he got his shirt off changing the diaper. And you're like, ooh, that's my man. <laughs> One thing Chandler said, it was hilarious. He goes, yeah, but you got him for six months. You're looking for a dude with a beer gut because you're just tired of that. You're like, he's boring. He's like, he, he works out too much, right? Because... Some dude or some lady cannot fix us, not that deep hole that longs for living water. You know the high school girl that has a different dude with her every time you see her. And you can just imagine this lady that Jesus is speaking to. She's just dipping in the wrong well. It just won't fix the hole inside of her. And the final one, I, I probably relate the most to the final one. We all relate to all three of these. They're actually in 1 John. I mean, Chandler did this pretty cool message I listened to on, but 1 John 2.16 kind of defines these three areas. So money, right? Relationship, sex, pleasure, and then respect or success. This and in that category, the respect and success people, they just constantly try, trying to get somebody to say that they are great. So there's the group of those that are promoters, and their only way to be great is to put something on the Internet, like in, on Instagram. They want you to think they're great even though they're not great. So they're just working it, working it, working it. It's embarrassing. There's some good country songs about this, all right? It's, it's just embarrassing. And then there's the other group that actually gets stuff done. They strive and they strive and they strive, and they work so hard to be somebody. They work so hard, they don't have any time to enjoy being somebody, to try to fill 
something inside that's just missing. Jesus says to this lady, and it's, it's this beautiful process because he calls her out for how she lives, and he asks her to repent, in essence, without throwing stones at her. If you would just repent of trying to fill that deep void inside of you, I could give you something that you can't imagine. Living water. So it brings us down to where we need to be. I want to read to you a few verses uh, about Jesus teaching this lady to worship and therefore teaching us to worship. He's really teaching us how to be. I think radius culture, we like to do. This is a group of people that likes to do, and I'm proud of you for it. We like to stand up here, and when we make announcements, we like to talk about all the stuff going on. I certainly do. We're doers, and we're going to get to that next week because you can worship by doing. We're going to get to that a little later in this passage. But, but you can't do without being. You can't do stuff for God unless you know how to worship God, unless you know how to be in his presence. So we're going to come back to these verses. Let me just pick up at verse 19 and, and read to you for a second. Sir, the woman says, I skipped a bunch. You'll have to go back and catch it, or you can listen to that Valentine's Day thing. You must, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship, while we Samaritans claim it is on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? So the lady's gone through a long process that we haven't, don't have time to go through, but she, she, goes, she asks Jesus a religious question. She's probably trying to get him off her back a little bit, but she's just saying, why do y'all worship on Jerusalem, which is elevated? It's up on the mount. And, and we worship in Gerizim. I mean, which one's right? It's this, it's this pretty, pretty cool question with, uh, where she's trying to figure out, how do I hit the marks? Right? How, what's the formula? You're a prophet. What's the formula for worshiping God? I think we live in that a little bit. Sometimes give me a book. Give me a checklist. Give me a list of things to do. That just doesn't seem possible. I wish I could give you a list today. You could walk out the door, and by the end of the day, you could check five things. Like, I worship. I am a true worshiper. Blah, I got it. And you feel good about yourself every night. And we could take little gold stars like we did when we were kids and stick it on the wall. And each day of the month, be like, I'm a true worshiper. But that's just not the way Jesus taught it. He taught it in more of a, like more of a mystery, something that you could have, but... You kind of grew into it. Verse 21. And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on a mountain or in Jerusalem. What's he saying? In a minute, he's going to say, well, I'll read it to you. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. <laughs> when, the Jew, when, when we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews, speaking of himself. Well, what's he saying? What did he say in verse 21? It's not going to matter where you worship. What's he really saying? I'm the new mountain. Right? No longer will it matter where you go. All you have to do is come to me, and I'll give you living water. That's where worship begins. Jesus is the center of all worship. When I was the uh, first church I started, we, uh, we actually met in a bar. It was called Charlie T's Suds and Wings. It was in Clemson. It stunk. 
Nobody with kids ever came because it was nasty. I used to have this big mirror beside where I preached that said, get wicked. <laughs> and I, I constantly pointed this. I could use that as a running, like, get wicked, you know, don't do this. <laughs> and then finally, we had kids sitting on the bar in the back. I'm like, maybe we need to move locations. So we moved, and we moved to this printing facility, and we bought it. We tore down a wall, and so there was a couple people here that were probably there. We painted. We bought all these folding chairs from a bingo parlor, and we painted them with brown tractor paint. It was that was a really amazing time. It was this, this cool, cool thing. And we set up our sanctuary in it. And, and I mean, it was just a warehouse with brown chairs in it. And one day I'm at the front door. And it's like a Monday. And, uh, and we, I had one other staff guy. And, and this girl comes up and says, I really need to get in here to pray. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, this is who I am. I'm like, why? <laughs> I mean, we just painted those chairs brown. And like four weeks ago, they were selling paper out of here. This is just a building. You don't need to come here to pray. There's nothing. We don't even have anything like to see, like some stone, some stained glass or, or something significant. We didn't have a cross on the wall. There's nothing to look at. But in her mind, where you went was really important. Jesus is saying, no, it's not. It wasn't my moment to mention this to her. I'm like, if you want to pray, go pray. But, but I want you to get it today. Because we got church up on the sign outside doesn't make this building any more than a Piggly Wiggly. You could have come in here and met Jesus in the produce aisle back when it was a Piggly Wiggly the same way you can today. You could have met him when it became the hardware store over in the chainsaw section. You could have spoke to Jesus over there because there is no longer a mountain. The Holy Spirit indwells me. I can go straight to God while I'm driving down the road at 71 miles an hour. Let's just go with that. Um, <laughs> I'm accelerating that point, but that's anyway. I can speak to God the whole time. He is constantly present with me because of Jesus. And Jesus is just saying to this lady, it's not going to matter anymore. It's beautiful. Verse 23. But the time is coming, and indeed it's here now. What's he saying? I'm here. The time is coming, and indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. It's, it's this idea, and I think it's difficult for us as, as mankind. God says, I want you to worship me on my terms, not on yours. What do you mean? I want you to, I'm God. Remember when the seraphim come in my presence, they're overwhelmed and they worship me on my terms because I'm glorious. I'm beyond anything you can imagine. So when you come into my presence, you worship me on my terms. When we were newlywed. Somebody gave us the book, The Five Love Languages. Anybody, anybody married people? Y'all, y'all read this? All right, it's got like five different ways that you could potentially love. I, I can remember four. I wrote them down. You could give gifts, right? That was one. Touch. Some people like to be touched. Uh, word of affirmation. Service. Anybody remember what the fifth one was? Quality time. Maybe I don't need that. That's, uh, maybe that's what they make look. Write that in there. I got too much quality time. Anyway, uh, uh, so, so there's five things. So Sharon and I are going through it and going through it because you know what we wanted to do? We were equals. We're coming to this relationship equal, man and woman, and we wanted to, to figure out how to love each other on each other's terms. Like, what makes you? feel great. I want Cheryl told me, this is the dumbest book I ever read. I'm like, what you mean? I'm trying to tell me what she goes. You got to figure out which of the five I need today. That's how I work. I got all five. I'm like, that's what I thought. I didn't need a book for that. 
There's this beautiful thing when a man and a woman come together as you learn one another. 26 years later, we, we, we know when we're screwing up and we know when we're loving each other well because, because we, when we're doing it well, we're thinking about the other. We're dying to ourselves and we're lo- I'm loving her on her terms, not my terms. And so God speaking through Jesus to a lady that nobody would have spoken to teaches us, I want you to worship me on my terms. Later, he's going to say, toward the end of this little passage, verse 24, he says, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. This ain't rocket science. You keep wanting to worship God on your terms, and he's spirit. He wants to worship you in spirit and truth. So what does that mean? Because it seems real. He repeats it twice in the passage. Why does he keep saying, worship me in spirit and truth? I would say we we probably need to figure that out. They seem deeply connected. It seems like you can't worship him with with one and not the other. Like that that and doesn't seem like you could worship me in spirit and you could worship me in truth, but you should worship me with both. When we're coaching the Reeves kids about a future somebody to run with, right? We, are, we always talk about it. Is she, I got five boys, so I'm going to go with that because I one girl. Is she cute and does she have character, right? I got some sons that start with cute. Like that's, that's, like, that's, like, that's the beginning point. And then let's ask the question if she's character. And we're constantly like, what? Well, I mean, and when we define character, we're constantly telling them, hey, you don't want anybody that doesn't really follow Jesus because they're going to hold you back as life goes forward. And, and then I got other sons that are, that are thinkers. They use their brain a little bit more and, no offense to the rest of my kids, but anyway, they use their brains a little bit more, and they start with character, and they work back to cute. They, they, start, they, they meet a girl, and they start evaluating who she is, and they start there, and then they evaluate the cuteness. That's just kind of the way that works. We, we're constantly saying, why would, you, why would you even hang out too much in high school? Because you just, you just don't know what you... Let's just figure some stuff out in high school, and by college, maybe you'll know what you're looking for. Somebody's got cute... This cute has got character. Yeah, cute's just in the eyes of the beholder, right? Depends on who you are and, and, and what you think's cute. That's changed every year in the history of the world. <laughs> now it changes like every three hours because somebody, somebody wears something crazy and puts it on the Internet. But there, there's just this cute and character thing. Well, God's saying, I want both spirit and truth. If you want to worship me well, I need to have both. I need emotion, and I want your brain to be on. We tend to want to do one or the other. We tend to celebrate the guy who, uh, who can articulate every little tiny piece of doctrine. Or we, we, we elevate the, the lady who can completely be free and worship and, and utter freedom. But it seems like God the Father wants both. He wants, uh, uh, one of the guys said, inflamed hearts and informed minds. Here's what I found. When my emotions start drawing me toward God, which they do sometimes, it normally makes me want to read. It wants me, makes me want to know more. Let me, let me show you if you're in trouble. If your emotions just make you look forward to the next emotional event, your worship gear might be broke because it ought to eventually force you to want to know more about God intellectually. But if your intellect, if it's because it, intellect can often build your pride, if it does not connect to your emotion, I don't mean you have to cry or stand up and dance, but I, I do mean at some point it's got to connect. Those two got to connect. Your heart and, 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 and your intellect, your mind and your heart have got to connect to worship God well. There's a mystery to it that's 
<laughs> it's far beyond me. I tell you what, when you look up that passage of Scripture and you, you, you look up sermons on John and, and, and what is spirit and truth meant, you'll get a list a mile long because everybody wants to know what this is, which is a great question to ask because worship is core to all that we do. And God tells us point blank in this passage, worship me in spirit and truth. So here's what I like to tell you. Take it and put it in your crock pot and stew on it before the Lord and see what he exposes to you. I'll give you a couple ideas that I have. But at the end of the day, the question is, what would God say to you about your worship? Do you know how to worship? There's certainly a piece of this that you would have to say, you cannot worship the God of the universe unless you've been saved by the truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I point back to the communion table. There certainly is a piece of this without the truth and without the Holy Spirit that comes from the truth, it is impossible to communicate in, which, in a way to God that's on his terms. So if you've not met Jesus, you've never worshipped the God of the universe. Because he's the truth and he opens the door for you to be indwelled by the Spirit. And so the, the cool thing is, even though you may not know John 3.16, if you've been saved by Jesus and indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you can worship and you don't have to sing to get that done. One more verse. It's perhaps my favorite one of this whole passage. The woman said, uh, the 26 is, I know the Messiah is coming. It's like Jesus is talking and she can tell this guy's got something to him. And I anticipate in my mind like she's beginning to understand. I know the Messiah is coming. The one who was called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. I can't wait. Like she's, you can feel her finally leaning forward a little bit to hear. And Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. You got it. I'm the Messiah. I just told you how to worship. It's not complex. I want you to Worship in spirit and truth. Some of it's above your head. There's no little formula that I can give you. I want you to worship in spirit and in truth. And the verses go on and they're rich and we'll have to catch them next week. I read uh, this week a book my, my wife gave me called in The Insanity of God. And I read the first half. first half is good. Not great. I kept looking at her like, why are you giving me this book? I'm, I, I'm a slow reader. I, don't, I have to read for information. So I read the first half. It was good, but not great. And I've gotten to the second half, and it's becoming great. This guy interviews, the guy who wrote the book, interviews a factory worker in Russia. He flies into Moscow, and he begins to meet believers after, after the Cold War kind of concluded. And he's beginning to meet believers, and he meets, meets this guy who lives far from Moscow, I think he said 100 kilometers, was that 500 miles-ish? Um, and uh, he sits at this table, and, he, and this guy begins to tell a story, and, and he says that when, when his boys were young, he felt the pressure in communist Russia to start, start teaching his boys the Bible one night a week. So they kind of had a plan. His wife and two sons would sit around the table one night a week, and the father would begin to teach his son's the Bible. 
And what happened in their town was people began to hear about him teaching his sons about the Bible. And, and he, he kind of articulates this. And then a couple of the, the family members would come from other houses and we'd all gather up because you kind of had to do this in, in secret. But the more he taught his kids the truths about Jesus from the Bible, which what was cool about the Russian churches, it was primarily Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Kept teaching them the stories about Jesus. More and more people in their little village would come to the point where they had 50 people in their house, which in communist Russia is not necessarily a good thing. And they would sing a little bit because the more they learned about Jesus, they couldn't stay quiet. He said at 50 people, it's like that was the buzzer. And, and then the officials from the city came and visited and threatened me and told me I had to stop. And we kept doing it. And the look, this, is, this guy's a factory worker. This ain't no pastor. This isn't a guy who's been to seminary. Matter of fact, he says, that's what I told him. He goes, I'm a factory worker. I'm not a pastor. I'm not trying to start a church. I'm just reading the Bible and teaching my kids. And the neighbors have heard, and they come and listen. He said, at 75, I lost my job. My wife lost her school teaching job, and my kids got kicked out of the, the local schools. But... We were so thrilled with the truth about Jesus that we just kept teaching him. And eventually, our little group at our house, people would stand outside the windows to hear us talking about Jesus. Said out about 150, they came and gave me one day's warning, and they told my family they're going to take me to jail. Said he took him to jail, and he spent 17 years in prison for reading the Bible out loud and teaching his kids. So while I was in jail, every morning he felt like God told him to do one thing. And one of those things was to worship. So when he got up, he had this worship song that he had memorized. And he said, we stand, stand in his cell, which he described the size, which was tiny, and held his hands up to God, and he just sang the worship song. 1,500 guys in the prison they hated him for it. He said people would throw excrement through the little stuff at him while he was singing, but he'd just sing this song every morning. He, the second thing he would do is anytime he could get a scrap of paper, he would write down any verse that he had memorized. He'd write it on the scrap of paper with whatever he could write when he'd stick it. The wall evidently was moist, and he could stick it to the wall, and he, would, and he would read it to himself over and over during the course of the day until somebody found him, and then they took it down, and then they beat him, and, and then he just went back to worship in the morning singing this one song. You could just feel as you... There's two chapters about this guy in the book. You pick it up if you want to be inspired. How deep and rich it was for a man with nothing to worship. Despite all that he's lost, that cavity inside of him was full. We got Americans that have everything, everything they could ever dream of. Most of the people in the world never even thought of some of the stuff we have at our convenience, but we don't, we're not full. We're empty. And this guy goes on to say, toward the end of it, he said, I just couldn't make it any longer. And I told the guys that I would sign the paper. I love this part because it's just real. They started telling him that his family had died. They, they, they came up with all kinds of horrible things to put in front of him. And he finally said, I can't take it anymore. Give me the paper, and tomorrow I'll sign it, and I'll deny that I knew Jesus. He said he had a dream that night. And the Lord reminded him of who he was. And when they came in, he, he, he denied. He said, there's no way I'm going to sign that piece of paper. The Lord's real. The story's longer. You have to read it. So they, they were going to execute him. 
They walked him out to the execution or square there. And, and <laughs> as he walks out, he said all the prisoners start singing the worship song that he'd been singing every morning. They knew it by heart. He said the guards didn't know what to do. The guards freaked out and just kind of sent him back to his cell. It was like it was this crazy moment where, for some reason, God spared him. But all of these guards had to sing of the greatness of God because one man was full. Not because there was anything special about him. He, he, wasn't, he didn't cut through the jail and, and set everybody free. All he did was worship his God on the spot day after day after day in humility And God used him. But what if God hadn't used him? What if he'd been executed that day? It was cool to see him write and others write. We used to train our children, these folks in Russia, that if if they come to get you, don't deny the truth about Jesus. It's bigger than our lives. So I got to ask the question to us, why is it so hard for us to worship Why can't we sing a song? Singing isn't the only form of worship, right? Singing is just a way to worship. If it leads you to worship, great. Sometimes worship ought to lead you to singing. There's something about the people who really know God that they have a lightness about them. Man, I just, I just watched the video. I, I didn't know Kyle Smiley, and I got to come to the funeral which is held here, and they showed his video. And there was just a, after he met Jesus, there was a lightness about him. He worshiped with his life. It was clear. It was a guy who was a man's man, but, but he was not, no longer just a man's man on bravado-type terms, right? He was a man's man that knew his place before the holy God. And so I guarantee you right now, you know what he's saying? Holy, 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 with great joy, he stands before God, unintimidated by any seraphim or anything because he's in the presence of the holy God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, whose glory fills the earth, Isaiah, who was and is and is to come, Revelation 4, because he's in his presence. It don't matter to me how you worship I'm a one-hand-in-the-air guy. That's, that's who I am. I used to be Leo Mazzoni guy. I rock in my chair. That, that, that's just kind of how I worship some of y'all. But, but if you can't get yourself to the place of worship, then it'd be a good thing to take these verses, go home and stew on them and say, why? Because if you don't know how to worship, you're missing the best part of this life. And it's going to be all of eternity. It'd be a good thing to practice while we're here. The time we look most like heaven is when we're worshiping. As a church, because someday we're going to be there and there's going to be all these different colors and all these different languages. And dude over there is going to be singing to Jesus in Swahili and, and lady over there is going to be singing in Portuguese. And, and English isn't going to be the primary language, just to let you know. And then there's going to be and everybody's going to be singing and nobody's going to care what the guy beside him, whether he's got one hand in the air, or whether he's down or whether he's singing to him or whether he's singing to a band. Nobody's going to care about the genre, for goodness sake. It's going to be all about Jesus. That's why we do it over and over. We sing and we put the communion in the back because we want to keep remembering Jesus. We want to be great worshipers. We want to be true worshipers. But that's a lifelong process, right? So don't, while I'm getting fired up, don't get all guilty feeling. Just say, hey, I'm going to go home, write write down that verse and stick it in my pocket and I'm going to throw it in my crock pot and I'm going to stew on it and I'm going to ask God to teach me how to worship because if you're lost, 
you're not going to believe how good it is to have that desperate whole feel. If you're a believer and you've been filling it with something else, you, you know what it is. He'll give you some peace like you've had before. Oh, I keep, can't talk anymore, Lord. I, it's a subject that I can't get words around. Men and women have been writing words for years on end trying to say how holy and great and glorious you are. We'll sing some right now, some new, some old. But as a group, in our simplicity, with the woman at the well, we, we agree with her. As we hear her, hear you say that you're the Messiah. We agree that you're the anointed one. Help us. Help us follow you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. This audio is provided as a free ministry of Radius Church. If you would like to reproduce this audio, please feel free to do so. We ask that you do not charge for any reproductions that you make. If you would like to know more about Radius, please visit us online at radiuschurch.org or download our app from your app store.